0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Hey, guys. um, So Alicia's son, Joseph, this is his first time on drums. He jumped in. Can we give him some love? It's awesome. Uh, Fresh face and a young face. It's just kind of cool. And uh, as a church, it's great to be able to say, um, we, we want to bring you in, we, we want to have a place for you where you can feel like you can jump in and we honor you and it, really I love it that we can have youth uh, up front and leading us. Not that we would say you have to be an adult to lead but um, that youth are leading us in worship. is great. Joseph, thank you for jumping in. Um, thanks for risking that and doing a good job with it. Thanks for that. There's a bunch going on here uh, at Damascus Road and so before we jump in um, to the Bible this morning. that we, I think we need to take a little bit of time um, just to talk and do some honoring and then also to do some praying. Um, so uh, I don't know how many of you guys are aware of this, but the, um, there's a little baby named Owen who was born to our church family this week. Uh, Christopher and Allie, our mom and dad, and Owen had uh, complications very early on. They knew it actually before he was born. Uh, he was born and still has the complications had an open heart surgery, um, and he's in recovery, uh, but it, it's really serious. So there's still water on his lungs, and it's um, fresh little baby um, that they get to see, but not totally yet hold, and I wondered if we could take um, some time this morning, just as a church family, to pray um, for Christopher and for Allie and for the family and for little baby Owen. Are you guys okay with that? Um, let's, let's pray. Father, you give life, and it doesn't always go according to our plan. And we call out to you this morning um, for Owen. Uh, He has a precious life. You knit him together. You made him, and you see great value in him, and he's not well. And you know what he needs, and we just call to you as a church They say, would you wrap around him? Would you heal him? Would you come around mom and dad and the family as they uh, walk through this painful time um, with great joy and great heaviness at the same time? Would you help us um, to bear some of that weight with them, to let them know that they're not alone? And would you, we beg you, would you heal him? Um, Would you help us to see you in the process? Uh, we want this to be um, we want this to be a story that we can tell about how great you are that we could brag about you, um, and so we ask for his health we ask for his life. We pray in Jesus name amen um, there's another thing that, um, before we jump in I want to do we 've been working since we got into this building, and even before um, there have been it's like countless people who have helped in this building and in this process. And we've been saying at some point, like, we need to honor all of these people. We need to honor the people who are uh, sweating and giving and pouring into this place. Because we recognize this isn't just a building. This is a building where we can connect with God. And even in some ways more important than that, we could use this as kind of a launch point that we could get into the community so that other people uh, could come into a connection with Jesus and understand who he is. And uh, we've been working on a list of, like, key, uh, key leaders in the designing and building and working and sweating process. But what we're coming to find out is if we had all of the key people who helped in this process come up here, those seats would be empty and everybody in the whole building would be standing up here. Um, so that picture is kind of a weird one. You can imagine it in your mind. What we're going to do instead right now is just to say, hey, if you helped... If you helped, whether that was designing or dreaming or carrying stuff, moving out, building, painting, um, however, in whatever capacity you were able to give, if you helped, would you stand right now? And we can look around and say, these are these are the people, these are the, the hands and feet that kind of brought us into this space as people. Would you do that right now? Reluctantly. <laughs> Um, the church is the people. The church is the people. The church is the people of God that um, Jesus came to pour life into and then say, now go breathe life into other people um, as his representatives. And we, I'm so thankful that this is a body who says, let's get at it. And so um, to you who helped, thank you. Thank you. Um, the work is not done. Uh, the, this got us to a starting point I think of a new season in ministry and from here we'd launch and so we honor you we thank you um, I, I think before everybody and before God to say we we couldn't be here without your help um, and we thank God in the whole process to say wow what what has he walked us through um, and we're just so grateful so thank you thank you thank you um, I um, I'm just thankful is that okay? Is that okay. <laughs> um, okay. Um, okay, so uh, let me ask you a question. What, what were your dreams as a kid? Uh, like, when you were a kid, what did you dream of growing up to become? Um, some people dream about being doctors. Some people um, uh, dream about being dog groomers. Uh, some people dream about being vets. Some people dream about, you know, like dream, you have all kinds of dreams when you're a kid. When I was a kid, um, I dreamed about being a bus driver. (laughs) True story, true story, Um, true story. Um, I don't know how often, at one point my mom was walking us around in Fond du Lac and we had to take the bus somewhere and I walked up. And that was in the day when you'd walk up into the bus and you'd clink your change down in that and there's this big glass container of all this money. And I was like, bus drivers are rich. (laughs) I want to be a bus driver. I'm going to grow up and be a bus driver. That was my dream as a kid. I don't know what your dreams were. Um, that That's who I was. Uh, over time, often, sometimes we stop dreaming. Like stuff happens in life and we, got, we get knocked off course or our plans change and we say, "Okay, that's not my dream anymore. Sometimes dreams come to a screeching halt and we actually stop dreaming as people. And that's a problem. Sometimes, um, sometimes life throws us a curveball, and we change our plans. You say, "Okay, what I was planning, what I was planning, is no longer what I can plan on." Either something devastating happened, or something really good happened, and I need to I need to redirect the course of my life. And think about this. Sometimes, though, there's a different problem, and it's almost it's I think it's a more sinister problem. Because it's something that goes on in me and you. Have you ever come to a point in your life when you had this kind of pressing on your chest feeling that the plans that you have made are not God's plans for you? It's It's a painful, painful moment when you come to terms with that. I've had that. I don't know if you've had that. Um, but you can, I think you can find yourself broken and in tears recognizing what I have poured into leading up to this is not the course that God wants me on. And you have to set your sights on something different. That's what we're going to talk about today. How do I, have, how do I make plans and how do I have confidence in my plans? What does that look like? James is going to talk about that. And so we're, we're uh, still going in our series called Faith Does... Through the book of James, because James says, in line with Jesus and in line with Paul and the writers of the New Testament and the whole Bible, really, your faith is meant to do something. Your faith isn't just something that you pray and then it sits as a golden ticket to heaven. Your faith transforms you from the inside out so that when Jesus becomes part of your life, you are different and people can see it. And it's not just a showy thing, but it's something that wells up from inside you. And then just kind of, it it determines the person that you are and the actions that you take. That's what the book of James is all about. And so he keeps coming back to kind of what Jesus said is the great commandment. Like you give God everything you have. You love him, you love him, you love him with everything you have. And then you give your life for people. This is what James calls the royal law. That you love God and you love people and you give yourself to those things. And James is not satisfied with a faith that just kind of sits dormant and thinking that we're okay. We're going to jump into James 4, uh, verses 13 through 17 this morning, and it's all about how we make plans and the confidence that we have and where we place our confidence. So um, would you stand as we read Scripture, and we'll honor this as to say, these are these are the most important words that are going to come today because they're from God and everything else is just kind of an add-on. Let's read James 4, 13 to 17. James says, Come now, you who say to today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's pray. You can have a seat. Father, we want to make plans the right way. We want to have confidence in the right uh, place. And I pray that you'd open us up this morning to look at what you say. Um, help us to chew on it. Help us to be honest. Help us to um, to hear you, and then do something about it. Pray in Jesus' name, Amen. In verse thirteen, James jumps right in and he says. Uh, come now you who say today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit and he's uh, moving to talk about business and how we approach money how we how we make a profit how we go into business and he's talking about uh, maybe some traveling salesmen who say okay I've got this great financial plan let's there here's a ripe market over here let's move over here let's spend a year there and and we're going to get rich we're going to This is going to be good for us. And it's a foolproof plan. They make all kinds of assumptions about certainties and what what will come, and they can be um, very safe in doing it. The problem is that James presents this as an instance where people are making plans um, in their own power and making their plans, not kind of asking God what he's interested in or Um, where their trust or where their confidence should be. James says to confront this kind of idea, he says, you can make all the kinds of plans you want, but you're in trouble here. Your, Your posture is not right. And he confronts it in verse 14. He says, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You make all kinds of plans for the next year, and you say at the end of a year or two years or whatever, we'll have accumulated all this wealth. You don't know what tomorrow is. I mean, if you want to get real about it, you don't know what lunch is. You can make plans for lunch, but all kinds of stuff can happen between now and then, right? Life is not guaranteed. Life is a mist, James says. And so there's a clear connection if you drop back into the first chapter of James in verses 10 and 11. um, James talks about rich people who will be brought low. Because not just, life isn't the only thing that's fragile, money is fragile, right? We saw this in 2008 uh, when money crashed here in the United States and around the world. It was was like a ripple effect that just tanked and people had all kinds of confidence built up and then it went away. And uh, we live in a new era now and yet we're still thinking, we, we still try to make plans and Uh, build up security for ourselves to say if I do this and this and this and this, then I'll be secure. And James says there's a problem here. It's like, you can be brought low in an instant. In the first chapter, he talks about it, um, about them being brought low. And then he says, riches is like a flower. Like it looks really good, but flowers don't last. And they go away very quickly. And here... Here he has another analogy, and he says it's a mist that uh, vanishes almost before it's noticed. So I don't know if you guys uh, have spent time on lakes, but if you enjoy fishing or canoeing and you get out on the lake early, you you can see the beauty of this mist kind of hovering over the water and swirling around, and it's just beautiful. But what happens when the sun rises is the mist just kind of evaporates, and it goes away. This week, um, this, as the weather has gotten colder and colder and colder, um, one time as we were walking out to the car to take the girls to school, Lucy kind of, you know, breathed out, and there's that puff of breath. And she's like, Dad, I just breathed a cloud. Um, and there's this recognition to say, but it's gone. It's beautiful, and it, there's something incredible about it, but it's gone almost as fast as you can notice it. And James says... This is what your life is. And this is what riches are for you almost before you can see it is gone. Life is fragile. It's beautiful, but it's a mist. My parents are here today. Um, They're right here. I love them and they're awesome parents. Actually, my brothers and their wives and kids are all here. We had a great family celebration. So, like, the whole family is here, and it's a really cool deal for me. Um, but I will never forget. I will never forget years ago getting a call from my dad that says, um, Shannon, you need to go. Um, all right, I'm in trouble. This will be the first for you guys. Uh, Shannon, you need to go home and you need to get mom and you need to go to the hospital. And what happened was he had a stress test and the stress test came back real bad, like real bad saying, you're not going home. My mom and I got there and the doctor explained to us, "Um, your dad is not well, he needs surgery now Um, and he needed open heart surgery, had it the next day. And I remember calling family to say, hey, it's not good. Like, I don't have words right now, but life is fragile. And I will never forget gathering that morning as a family and seeing my dad on the surgery table like pre-op and talking with him and praying as a family and then watching him get rolled out. Thinking, um, I, I don't know what's next. I'm not in control of what's next. Because life is a mist. Some Some of you know this. Some of you have felt this. That you have had uh, loved ones who have misted away. Um, And it's painful. James says, be careful when you make all kinds of plans and then you take great confidence in your plans. Be careful because life is a mist. You don't know what's coming. And if you start to plan that way, arrogance is right around the corner. You think you have way more control than you do. So he says, come now. We have a way of making plans and then thinking that our good plans can't fail. People invest money so we get a secure future or we plan for retirement and think, man, retirement comes and I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to really live. We plan and then we take comfort in our plans. But the Bible paints a very, very different picture. Proverbs 19.21 says, many are the plans in the mind of a man but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Proverbs twenty-one or 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Hosea 13.3, talking about a people who had turned away from God, he says, Therefore they will be like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears like chaff swirling from a threshing floor, like smoke escaping through a window. And the words of Jesus in Matthew 7 come to mind when Jesus is talking about the two different kinds of builders and the one who builds his life on the sand that can be swept away in an instant and the one who builds his life on the rock. And he says, when the rain comes, not, not if. If you live long enough, you will experience the rain. If you live long enough, you will understand how fleeting life is. And then Jesus kind of caps it. And we talked about this a few weeks ago in Matthew 16, 26. Jesus says, what will it profit a man? What do you get, really, if you gain the whole world, and yet you forfeit your soul in the process? And we talked about the difference between living life, climbing up the ladder versus getting down on the cross and saying, I want to give my life. That way, you want to, uh, if you want to get life, you lose your life for Christ's sake. And if you try and save your own life, you're a mist. You're just a mist. So the question is, what are you building your life on? What are you building your life on? Making plans without considering God is missing the mark. Or missing the mark. James is not arguing against making money. He's not arguing against making plans. He's not even arguing against the desire to make money or the desire to have good, well thought out plans. He's against self confidence, an overinflated self confidence that puts way too much stake in who you are and the power that you think you have. The uncertainty, on the other hand, doesn't have to trap us in fear. It doesn't have to paralyze us to say, I'm not in control of anything, so I'm just going to kind of hunker down and, uh, and try and be safe and protect myself from a bomb. James would not argue for that. We turn to God. We commit our plans to God, knowing, th- knowing that even the best plans we make won't succeed unless that's what God has in store. We trust what God has in store for us. To forget that is boasting. That's what James, that's the word that he uses. You boast in your confidence. And the word that he's using here for boast is uh, what one commentator writes about it, he says, is like a wandering quack who offers cures which were no cures and boasted of things which he was not able to do. James says we boast and we're like that because we overpromise and we can't. We can't be true to it. We have no ability to come through on our promises or our plans. And so you could say that to fix this, you need humility. But I don't know how to get humility. Like, I don't. I don't know that you say I'm going to get really good at humility. You, you can try. And in some ways, I think you can succeed. I think real humility is a a correct understanding of yourself. It's not making yourself, but it's also not having a too lofty of you, okay? True humility is a correct understanding of who you are and who Jesus says you are, okay? So you can grow in humility and say, I have a better understanding of who I am. I'm more humble than I used to be, but be careful with that, right? So I don't know how you really say, I want to grow in humility. I think we have to get to the the heart of the matter. I don't think we can just say, don't be arrogant, and that'll fix things. I think there's something deeper. And it's not just about plans. It's not just about profit. It's not even just about confidence or self-confidence. It gets to what's going on in our hearts. What captures your attention and what has the power to break this cycle So we have a two-minute video that I want to watch together and then follow up with how do we get to the heart of the matter can we kill these lights
1: joy, hope, and fulfillment. This longing is deep in the heart of every human being. It wanders around in your soul. Your heart cries out every day to be enveloped by the glory of God. satisfied is actually a universal craving to see God face to face. But we are on a quest for life. And there are only two places to look. What
0: Could it be said that the antidote for arrogance is awe? I, I've been chewing on that this week. The antidote for arrogance is awe. Because awe, awe sets our sights on something bigger than ourselves. A rightly placed awe breaks the cycle of overinflated self-confidence of putting all of our stock in plans that we make that we have no guarantees about? Could it be said that an awe of God breaks the cycle of arrogance? We can have awe in all kinds of stuff. We do. All kinds of stuff catches our attention. Some of it's good, some of it's bad but none of it is sufficient to fulfill us. And we end up thirsting again and again and again. You think about it, anything you've ever wanted, did it satisfy you? Think about that new toy that you wanted as a a kid, and you got it, and then you wanted the next new toy. Think about yourself now, and the, uh, the next iPhone, and you get it, and you want the next iPhone And it's not like those things are bad, it's just that they don't satisfy, right? A new car, or a new house, or a new job, or new friends, a new community, maybe even a new marriage. Does anything ever live up to the hype? Does anything make good on the the promise to satisfy? And so Jesus sits down with a woman at a well who is empty. And in John 4, he has this conversation. And he says, instead of looking for all of these things to fill you, look at me. And in John 4, 13, 13 to 14, he says, he looks at this woman and he says, everyone who drinks of this water at this well right here, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So planning isn't bad, but arrogantly planning and thinking that those plans are going to fulfill us will never actually give us what we're looking for. Jesus talks to the woman at the well who's looking to fill her thirst, but always finds herself thirsty. And Jesus says, only in me can you find what you're thirsty for. Paul, uh, in Philippians 3, talks about all of the stuff that he had accumulated in life. All of the accomplishments, all of the accolades. And he comes to meet Jesus and he says, in Philippians 3, 7 to 10, I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. And it's not like Christ made those things worthless. It's as if Paul is seeing Christ and now looking at those other things and saying, compared to Christ, nothing else matters. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake... I have discarded everything else, calling, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. And so there's bad news here. Whatever you're chasing will let you down. Whatever you're going after in this life, whatever plans you're making, if you put your confidence in those plans or in the people around you or in anything else, it will leave you empty. But accepting that, accepting that bad news Opens you up to the very, very good news. That being that God doesn't want you empty. God doesn't want you thirsty. He wants to put something in you that will make you never, never look for satisfaction in anything else. That will never leave you wanting, that will never leave you empty, that will never leave you thirsty. And Jesus says, when you find me, when you keep your eyes on me, that will satisfy you, that will give you everything that you've been looking for. And so James isn't arguing for a lack of confidence. He isn't arguing for not planning. What he's saying is, have your confidence in the right place. You put your confidence in Jesus and everything falls into place. That doesn't make life easy. That doesn't mean he fixes all of these momentary troubles. But what it does is it gives you a solid foundation to your life. James says you make plans and you submit them to God because he's the one in control anyway. When you see the bigness and the holiness and the perfection of God, and then you see along with that the love of God that would do anything, anything and everything so that you could be filled when you look around at all that God has made, when you gaze up into the stars and you you awe and wonder at the one who made the stars, when you see Jesus on the cross for you and then conquering death so that you could have life. I think that makes our arrogance shrink. I think that helps us with perspective. I think that helps us seek God in our planning And so I think awe is the antidote for arrogance. Some prayers of perspective as we work toward kind of wrapping this up. In Psalm 39, 4 and 5, here's this prayer. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. It's a prayer of perspective. And another one in Psalm 8, 3 and 4. When I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them human beings, that you should care for them. And he does. And he does. And we are small specks in time. And God cares about you. Do not overinflate yourself and make plans that you can't come through on. Do not uh, count yourself as worthless because the one who made everything and the one who made you Sees great value in you. The world is not all there is. And that's good. Because life is a mist. If you need to replace arrogance and self-certainty, I think, come face to face with God. Find yourself in a place of awe of God. I remember... Um, trips to Colorado, climbing up in the mountains and coming down and looking out over everything. Like when you're on mountains, you're on the top of the world. And I, I remember having a moment coming down, seeing this valley below me and this beautiful lake and everything around and just being caught in awe. God, you made this easily. It's not like you worked really hard. Like you did this at a word. And I'm I'm just awestruck by you. You get into science and you start to see the intricacies of life. And you understand this didn't happen by accident. There, There is a designer who made us this way. And made this and everything around us this way. Let's not be caught in awe of the creation, but in the creator. Someone did this on purpose. And I know who it is. And then he came for me to win me back. You find awe in God. You live out of that awe to say, now that I've seen it, I can't turn back. Paul says, I used to find value in all that stuff. And now now that's garbage compared to Jesus. Compared to Jesus, it's just garbage. You live out of awe. And then you do what matters. Sometimes that's making plans because plans matter. You can't just live on a whim. Plans matter. Sometimes it's taking care of people. Sometimes it's giving yourself. Sometimes it's living opposite of worldly wisdom. So you put yourself down to lift other people up. But you give yourself and you do what matters in light of awe. You live now. You remember the past. You live now and you face into the future. I think awe is the antidote for arrogance. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? Would you help us to search our hearts? Would you help us to be honest with where we place our hopes and our dreams, how we make our plans, and where we put our confidence Would you break us with the bad news that we are far less in control than we would like to think? And would you open our eyes to the good, good news that you are in control and that you love us when we submit ourselves to you and to your plans? We can find satisfaction there. Help us understand that nothing else delivers that you're the only source of life, that you're the only source of satisfaction. Help us to find our awe in you, Jesus. Amen. But time of communion and it's a way to remember what Jesus did and it's a way to look forward into the life that he's poured into you. When you take the bread and you remember the sacrifice that he made on your behalf, that he died so that you could have life, and you take the cup, and it's this new life that he pours into you. Now we just say, if you have a relationship with Christ, if you've submitted yourself to him and you're living that life, then come and experience communion as the symbol, the powerful symbol that it is. And if you haven't, if you're asking questions, or if you're skeptical and you're not quite there, then don't take communion. Because that's just doing stuff that'll make you right with God and we don't want you to fake it. Keep asking questions and keep sorting through. But maybe even right now in this time as we take communion ask God to